the most fantastic claim Christians make is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It strains our reason and our logic to the utmost, doesn't it? But Christians have a second problem. Not only whether Christ was raised from the dead, but what does it matter if he was? Because if he was raised from the dead, if he was, it happened 2,000 years ago, and what in the world can an event that happened in such late antiquity mean for our modern Americans today? There's no question about it that the early church believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Even in this very chapter, Paul lays out the historical argument. There were 500. You can go and ask those brothers who were there. They saw him. There's the personal, the existential argument. If Christ has not been raised, listen, your faith is futile. You are to be pitied. There's the moral argument. If Christ hasn't been raised, he says later in verse 32 of chapter 15, to let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. No, the early church assumes that Christ was raised from the dead. In fact, when Paul preaches the gospel, he always tied Jesus and the good news of the gospel to his resurrection. In fact, for preaching Jesus and the resurrection, those who heard Paul preach in Athens, the philosophers called him a spermologos in Greek, a seed picker. They made fun of him, and they ridiculed him. But Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared. Four things. He died, was buried, was raised, and he appeared. Really, there's only two things. He died, and the burial is evidence of that. He was raised, and his appearance is evidence of that. Christ died, and he was raised again from the dead. People have all kinds of objections to Christianity in your neighborhood. It wasn't long ago I was talking to somebody who had a real problem with the gospel because they believed in evolution. Okay. Does evolution disprove the resurrection of Jesus? Well, they said, well, I guess not. Okay. So what you have to decide is, did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and I will too. We can call it a day. But if he did, if it really is true, that is where you have to deal with Scripture. And if you deal with Scripture in that way, then let's back up and see what Scripture has to say about other things as well. Do not let your objections, whatever they may be, 
get in the way of the one central truth of what it means to be a Christian, that you stake your life on the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But what significance does it have for our life? Let's answer that question together. And in order to do that, I need to define what I mean by resurrection, don't I? It's important to know what we're thinking about together. When I say the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I don't mean the survival of Jesus. I don't mean that we talk about Jesus like we talk about Elvis Presley. When he died two days before my birthday, people began to say all through the streets, he lives. And even today, you can find cover bands that begin to sing Elvis's songs. And they begin all their concerts with, the king lives. That's not what I mean when I say Jesus was resurrected from the dead. People sometimes will say of someone like Selena, the great Tejano music, a musician who tragically was killed when she was 23 in the 90s. Some of you remember this. And there's a statue at Corpus Christi. And people with Sharpies have signed the Selena statue on the shore of Corpus Christi. You live forever in my heart. That is not what we mean when we say Jesus was raised from the dead. We don't merely mean that Jesus survived. Or D.L. Moody, before D.L. Moody died, he said famously from his pulpit in Moody Bible Church, one day you will read of me. Here lies D.L. Moody, but I don't want you to believe it because when you read that, I will be more alive than I ever have been before. And D.L. Moody didn't mean that he was resurrected. He meant that he would go on living beyond death. That's not what I mean by the resurrection. I do not mean that Jesus merely survived. I also do not mean that Jesus was resuscitated. Lazarus, Lazarus was resuscitated. The Shunammite widow in 2 Kings 4 resuscitated. The son, the son of the widow of Nain, and Luke 7, resuscitated. Jairus' daughter in Matthew chapter 9, resuscitated. C.S. Lewis, did you know this? He actually felt sorry for Lazarus. Did you know that? He said, I pity Lazarus because once he was called out of the grave, the poor old fellow had to do his dying all over again. I do not mean that Jesus Christ still lives on in our memories. I do not mean that Jesus Christ was resuscitated like Lazarus was resuscitated. What I mean is that God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of decay, decomposition, and corruption, rescued Jesus out of the realm of death, and transformed his body into a new vehicle for his soul, his personality, so that he had a new power and was immortal, never to die again. That is something that has never happened before and has yet never happened since. That's what we're talking about. So let me come back to the question. Does it matter? Does it make any difference whether it's true that Jesus of Nazareth, act, Nazareth actually rose from the dead? 
Let me give you three reasons why I believe it is immensely significant for us today. First, the resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of God's best gifts. Amen? Amen? Amen. You cannot be free if you are unforgiven. Every single one of us in this room have skeletons in our closets. And they have weighed us down with shame. And some of us in this room carry very heavy senses of guilt. I read an op-ed one time about a psychiatrist who said, if I, I, he said, I could release all of my clients tomorrow if I could assure them that they have been forgiven. Mark Twain famously once quipped that man is the only animal that blushes and is the only animal that needs to. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that assures us of our forgiveness. We are ashamed of things we've done in the past. And shame does very damaging things to our soul, doesn't it? But when Paul preached the gospel, and when Matthew declares the gospel, and when Jesus preached the gospel, what did he say? He said, I preach to you the forgiveness of your sins. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he would say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. And even in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in front of Judas, what does he say? The blood which was shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Even the passage that Dustin read earlier in Acts chapter 13, what does Paul say? Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So the question is, how do we know whether Jesus is correct or not? Was he right? He said he was going to die for our forgiveness. Was he telling the truth? And how do you know if he actually achieved that for you when he died? The answer is the resurrection. How do you know that Jesus' promise to us came true and are coming true in your hearts? The answer is the resurrection. How can we take God's word at face value? All the promises of the prophets fulfilled in Jesus. How do you know that's true? Because of the resurrection. If he'd remained dead, we would have all wondered whether or not we could truly have been forgiven. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith would be futile, and we would still be in our sins, as it says in verse 17. But Paul went on. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And the assurance of that is the truth, the historical truth, 
that he rose again from the dead. I'm not saying he was resuscitated. He was resurrected. He didn't just survive. He was raised, made new in a glorious body. Listen, uh, there are all kinds of examples where you can find men, smart men, great men, smarter than me, who have sought to disprove the resurrection in history. You can go to the movie theaters now and watch the life of Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. You can think many years ago of Simon Greenleaf, who was the head of Harvard Law School, who set out to prove that the resurrection could not be historically verified. And when he concluded, he wrote, there is every historical proof, every reason to believe that the resurrection is a verifiable historical event. Well, people say, well, that's great that you went to Easter. I'm so glad you went. It's wonderful. You believe in the resurrection. That's great. We like the Easter traditions in our family. You know, they make us feel good. We're not talking about personal feelings here. Nobody would say, oh, you believe 9-11 happened? Oh, that's awesome. No, you go to ground zero and you see the hole in the ground. We don't treat any other facts like that. So why do you get to treat the resurrection like that? It's true. Even for those who set out to disprove it. I mean, do you seriously think that we would still be gathering? I mean, I hope you're hearing me. We would still be gathering to worship every Sunday if somebody could prove the resurrection. I mean, that's all you need to do, and we're done. Oh, and the barrage of attacks that has been taken upon the shield of the resurrection for Christians through the centuries. Not once has it been disproven. Isn't that just mind-boggling? It strains our credulity, our reason, our logic to the utmost. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's forgiveness now, today. Secondly, the resurrection assures us of God's power. I don't know about you, but I need more than just forgiveness for my sins yesterday. I need power and motivation and healing for me living life now and on through the rest of the week. Let me ask you a question. Is God really able to change human nature? Is it possible for selfish people to become selfless? Is it possible for a sinner to be turned into a saint in the eyes of God? Is it possible for people to really change? Is it? On this resurrection day, I want to tell you that it is possible. Why? Because of the resurrection. God has power to change human nature and to change all of human beings, and he has power to transform you and me into the image of Christ. People will go on to say, can God really change people who are dead spiritually and make them spiritually alive again? Yes. Yes. He can. 
Paul wrote in one of his letters, the eyes of our hearts, our inward eyes may be opened in order that we may see the incomparable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, the power that he has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The evidence that we have that we can be changed, the supreme evidence, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can raise us from death to sin and make us alive together with him. That is the good news. There's a Sunday school curriculum that a friend of mine was telling me about not long ago. It was a children's curriculum. And the children's curriculum on day one said, the good news of the gospel is Jesus saves sinners. So far, so good. And then it goes on to say, and you should go on to do everything that God calls you to do for him to love you. That's not good news. That's terrible news. And children, listen, if, that, if that's what we need to do, if we need to obey all that Jesus calls us to do to earn his favor, listen, we're sunk. Because I can't do that. And you can't do that. But the good news is that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And he has the power to change you. Because he lived the life you couldn't live and he died the death you should have died. We are always trivializing, trivializing the good news and therefore we are always in danger of minimizing God by his resurrection power what he is able to do. We simply do not believe it. Some of you know the story of the 17-year-old teenager Joni Erickson Tata who in 1967 dove into the Chesapeake Bay to go for a swim. Joni was the captain of the cheerleading squad. She was this great athletic teenager. She had everything going for her. She was not only the captain of the cheerleading squad, but she dated the high school quarterback of the rival high school. One day she dove into the Chesapeake Bay she felt this intense buzzing. She found herself laying flat, conscious, on the bottom of the Chesapeake Bay. Wave rushed over her, thinking, this is strange. I can't move. I feel different. <laughs> Another wave rushes over her. Joni! She tries to speak. She can't. She's underwater. A third wave rushes over her, and then she feels the arms of her sister, Kathy, pull her out of the Chesapeake Bay. She sees her limp arm hanging on her sister, and she hears commotion, and she's taken to the ICU of the hospital. And during her time in the ICU, she learns, not of her own injuries, but she learns and begins to pray for the people who are next to her. There was a man next to her who broke his neck. Oh, I'm so sorry for him. And all of a sudden, one day, they rush in. His name was Tom. She got to know Tom. They passed notes back and forth. And one day, they all rush in because of a code blue, and Tom, who broke his neck, died. A couple of days later, you could read her biography. It's true. A couple of days later, another man comes in who also had a broken neck. She still doesn't know what's wrong with her. 
he also dies. And Joni Erickson Tata, this woman who's 17 years old, had everything going for her, who broke her neck between her fourth and fifth vertebrae, was immediately a quadriplegic, would never walk, never move her arms again. And do you know the power of the resurrection? She went into a darkness and a despair that is probably as dark or darker than anything that you in this room have experienced. She knew what it was like to be depressed because she was for years in the depths of depression. And she started, when she came out of that depressive state, she started an organization called Joni and Friends, which is the leading organization to help children with special needs in this country. My own seminary professor at Dallas Seminary had a son who had special needs, and he could not get through to him. But Joni Erickson Tata could. You want to know the power of the resurrection? How about a teenage girl who breaks her neck in the Chesapeake Bay who writes, I have hope in the future because the the Bible speaks about bodies being glorified. I know the meaning of that now. It's the time after my death when, when I, the quadriplegic, will be on my feet dancing. And she didn't wait She doesn't wait until she's asleep in the grave to begin dancing. She has helped thousands of children learn to dance again in the midst of their special needs. You want another proof? The power of the resurrection. That's what we're talking about here. What is the power of the resurrection? How about Charleston, South Carolina? You want resurrection for that? When a racist walks into a Wednesday night Bible study and guns people down in cold blood... What is that if not heinous evil? And two days later at the courthouse when he is arraigned, you want to see the power of the resurrection? The families of the victims who have been murdered are there, and they are speaking kindness to this man. That's resurrection power. So you who are here, can God really raise you up from the dead spiritually? Yes. You never outrun the bounds of God's grace. It is the power. It is the motivation. It is the way we are changed. The evidence of that power is found in what? In the resurrection. I wonder if you're following me. We have said that it matters, the resurrection, because it is the power for our forgiveness, and it is the evidence of God's power in our own lives. And thirdly, it assures us of God's ultimate triumph at the end of history. One of the great differences between Christianity and all other world religions and all other philosophies is that there is a future. Is there a future for you? Do you believe that there is a future somewhere? Every generation has atheists who rise up and write trade books of why the faith is not palatable today for a reasonable man. You have a whole slew of them today. The last generation was a man named the Lord Bertrand Russell who wrote 
in Why I Am Not a Christian, a collection of his famous essays. He writes, when I die, I believe that I shall rot and that that is the end. And he went on to say, all the labors of the ages, the inspiration, the noonday brightness of human genius, genius are destined to extin extinction. The whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried in the debris of a universe in ruins. In other words, there is nothing to look forward to in the future. The comedian Woody Allen, I love Woody Allen films, and the comedian Woody Allen himself was terrified of death. If you were at the Good Friday service, you heard me say this there also. Woody Allen says that the fundamental thing behind all motivation and activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. Death is absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. There are many people who have no hope in the future. I just want to ask you a simple question. Do you? If you do, it is because of the glorious good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christians do not believe that history is cyclical. We believe it is linear. We believe it is moving somewhere, going somewhere. We believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again, and when he comes again, we will all rise with him in our glorious bodies. And friends, I don't mean that we'll be back to our normal selves. I mean that you will run through the New Jerusalem on the streets of gold, and you will dance in the streets, and you will enjoy the plenty of that city, and you will love for the first time in your life without mixed motives, and you will sing, and you will play. You will run through the woods and splash in the lake to degrees of power and glory we can in this life not even imagine. And we will look back at worship on April 16, 2017 and say, ah. Oh, what a small foretaste. If only I had really believed what Blake said then, how different my life could possibly have been. Friends, it can be. Because the resurrection is evidence that God has the power to forgive you of your sins. It is the evidence of God's power to change your life. It is the evidence that God will ultimately one day and someday have ultimate triumph over all of history. Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Have you seen the scene at the very end after the snake in the village, Gaston, is taken out by whom? By one who sacrifices herself for her father to live in the realm of the beast so that the beast might be redeemed. And do you remember that scene where the beast and Lumiere and Cogsworth and the wardrobe? Do you remember that scene where Agatha, the enchantress, comes and gives the rose, the whole rose again, and there's the scene where everything in the kingdom changes, changes, Old dark shadows are dispelled, and dewdrops of mist and of grace appear all throughout the kingdom. And the beast becomes fully human. Cogsworth becomes a man. Luminaire 
a man. These things which were complete chip, Mrs. Potts even, these things become human as radical. And the tension that you feel in that movie of longing, they long for the resurrection. The whole thing is about resurrection. They long for the resurrection. And then when you see it, you just want to rejoice. 1 Corinthians 15 says that image of a teapot becoming human is nothing on what happened to Jesus. And what will one day, someday, if you believe, happen to you? Is the resurrection, resurrection significant today? Yes. Because it is the power by which you are forgiven of your sins. It is the power by which God can change you. And it is the evidence of God's power to triumph over all of history and lead us into a triumphant and glorious, wonderful, happy, joyful future when we will be fully human. Not fallen human, but fully human. And those of you who have lost dear ones, please hear me. You will rise again with them. And you will see them. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then even those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And Paul's point is, but oh, he has been raised. And all that you so ardently long for is contained in the hope of the resurrection. Friends, what is the power of God's forgiveness? What is the power that he can change you? What is the power that he will triumph over all of history? Would you please tell me? It is the resurrection. It is our only hope. Amen.